Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. Amen. Let's get open our Bibles. Come on, where's your Bibles at? We're going to the book of Esther. Esther is where we're at. Esther is where we're at. And, uh, and I thought this morning would be our final chapter in Esther. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's going to be just one more after today. And it's been so refreshing to me, you know, preparing it. But I pray that it's been a word that's challenged you. Esther chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Esther chapter 5, 1 through 3. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need some time, say, give me a minute. All right. Esther 5, 1 through 3. My version says this. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even up to half of my kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, God, for the heat that's working. And we pray, oh God, that as we, uh, as we surround your word for a few moments together, that we'd be changed and transformed by it. We ask in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So if, in case you, you missed last week, I just want to quickly kind of bring everybody up to speed about where we are in, in the story of, of Esther. And, uh, and, and, and as I've been preparing, you know, and, 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 and meditating on this story, it's been so enlightening to be able to see all the, the, the depth of really what is happening in the story of Esther. So we, we pick up on the story where uh, Mordecai finds out about Haman's plot to kill all of the Jews in Persia, and Mordecai has the discernment to understand that Esther was in the palace, and she was a Jewish woman, and so her life was technically being threatened as well, but he saw that it was not by mistake. There was no coincidence that Esther was in the palace, the right place at the right time, and so he says to Esther, he says, who knows if you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this, and I left you off last Sunday talking about the fact that in the life of the believer, there is no such thing as coincidence. We believe that everything God does, God does perfectly, and everything God does, God does for a reason. And so I want to give you a a reassurance this morning that God has you where he has you for a reason. We talked about the fact that there is always a purpose behind the position that God has you in. Turn to two people and say there's purpose to the position. There's purpose in the position. And, and, and so what, what happens next is, is that Mordecai uh, goes to Esther. Esther uh, sends a response back to Mordecai and, and says that you can't just approach the king. You know, you know it, it was to the point that, you know, Esther, the queen, hadn't been called by the king in 30 days. And unless the king called her, 
unless the king called somebody, that person can't simply approach the throne room of the king without first being called. And, and if a person were just to walk up into the throne room of the king, the threat would be that that person would be killed on the spot because they weren't called. And so Esther sends word back to Mordecai, her adoptive uh, father, and says, Mordecai, have all the Jews across Persia begin to fast and pray for three days. And at the end of the three days, I will go and stand before the king. And if I perish, I perish. What she was saying is that, you know what, we're going to begin praying, and then I'm going to go boldly. And if I die, then I'll just die because I know that there's a purpose behind the position. This morning, I want to talk to you about a few different scattered topics within Esther's response. But first off, I want to touch on prayer because I believe in the life of the believer, prayer is not our last option. It is our first resource in the face of any trial. We go to prayer first. We go to prayer first. Have you ever been that person who you've tried every other option and then you said, oh yeah, let me pray about it. Oh, 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 yeah, let me talk to God about it. Come on, my mom's not here. I need you to talk to me. I, I need you to respond back. She's, the, she's my chief amener. I, 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 I need you to, 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 to get on board with this because I think so many times we try to figure life out on our own, and then prayer ends up taking the back burner. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher of preachers, said this. He said, prayer is like walking into God's treasure house and getting all the riches from an inexhaustible, inexhaustible supply. What he's saying is this, is that when we pray, we are entering into God's presence, and we are collecting stuff from God. And I believe that prayer doesn't just change things. I believe prayer changes me. I know that, that phrase that everybody loves, prayer changes things. And I, and I get the, the sentiment behind it, and I get the purpose behind that phrase. But I think the purpose of prayer is not to change things. I think the purpose of prayer is to change me. If prayer could change God, we would be God. If prayer could change the will of God, we would be God. I believe that the, the, the Lord's prayer in Matthew is what gives us the, the blueprint for how we should pray when he says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. It, it shows us and demonstrates the fact that prayer is not intended for us to try to mold the mind of God, but that our minds would be molded according to the will of God. And so prayer doesn't just change things, prayer changes me. And when prayer changes me, then prayer can change things because I am different. Are you understanding what I'm saying this morning? You know, a lot of times we act like, well, I haven't prayed, you know, long enough to change God's mind. It's not about his mind being changed. It's about us having the mind of Christ in the middle of our circumstance. And what I love about Esther is that she knew her life was being threatened, but prayer was her first response to threat. And I want to remind you this morning of the fact that in American culture, or even in whatever culture you come from, the tendency is usually for us to try to sort things out on our own. But I believe that prayer is powerful and effective. I believe that when we begin praying, I believe it aligns our heart back to the heart of God. It aligns our mind back to the heart of God. And I say this frequently, and I say it to you again, I don't like who I become when I'm not praying enough. Only one? 
I don't like who Shane becomes when Shane's not praying enough. You're a pastor. Absolutely. But I still don't like who I become when I'm not consecrating myself daily to spending time in God's presence. Why is that? Because the flesh is still real. And so what prayer does is it starts to put the flesh down and rises the spirit within me. When you start feeling like the flesh is rising up, dedicate yourself to even more prayer so you can align yourself back with the mind and the heart of God. Prayer doesn't just change things. Prayer changes me. Turn to your neighbor and say, prayer changes you. Are we praying? Are we praying? I'm not saying saying grace before our meal. I'm saying, are we praying? I'm not saying thank you, God, for this day. That's great. That's awesome. We need to. But I'm saying, are we interceding? Are we bringing God our heart? Are we being honest before the presence and the throne room of God? What I love about Esther is that this woman was a woman that prayed. Where are the women of God that are praying? Where are the women? I, I, I believe there's something special in the heart of God for the prayer of a woman. You would think I'm a feminist right here, but I'm, I'm telling you something. It's powerful when you look through Scripture and you see the prayers of women. I believe there's a sensitivity there that, that women have that men need to learn from. Where are the women at? I believe that there's a... There's a warrior spirit in women that men claim to have, but women have. Look at our churches. What's the proportion of women to men? The men are loving it. The women are like, where's my Boaz? Where's my Boaz? Go read Ruth. And it's just, it, it, it's, it, I believe that God... I was asked the other day if I believe in women pastors. And I grew up around my mom, who is a powerful woman of God. And so as soon as I was asked that question, I'm like, absolutely I believe in women. Because I believe God can use a woman just as much as he can use a man. All the women said amen. I want the men to say amen. But, but here's the thing. That doesn't mean that men's role is diminished. That doesn't mean that men's role is diminished. A lot of times we feel like, well, if the women are empowered, then the men have to be, like, cast all the way down. Can't we just empower everybody? Can't the men of God be men of God and the women of God be women of God and we just begin fulfilling our role? What I love about Esther is that, did you know that Esther is the only book of the Bible where God's not even mentioned, but it's all about God? I love Esther. Homegirl is a spiritual woman, and we need spiritual women, powerhouse praying women in the house of God. Mothers that pray, wives that pray, daughters that pray. And I believe heaven begins to move when women begin to pray. I really didn't intend this to be a feminist message, but women receive it in Jesus' name. Pray, pray, girl, pray. If there's a girl beside you, tell her that. Pray, girl, pray. Pray. Can God use a woman? Absolutely she can. He can. Absolutely, God can. And prayer was Esther's first reaction, not fear. I don't know if they, I, maybe she was afraid, but they didn't write it down. Prayer was her first response. 
Can we begin letting prayer be our first response, not our last option? Can we, can we begin using prayer as our first weapon, not our last resort? Well, I've tried everything else, God. Now let's go to you. Let, let's begin seeking God first because I believe that prayer is powerful and effective. And so Esther tells Mordecai, to command all the Jews to, to pray for three days. That, that number is very important, three days. And, and at the end of the three days, I'm going to go before the king, and if I perish, I perish. What I love about Esther, number two, is not only that she was a woman who prayed, but number two, I love Esther's tenacity. I love her, her persistence. I love her, her, her boldness, her courage, when she says, you know what, even if I die, I'm still going to do it because I know that God has me in this place. And if I stay silent, God is going to rise up hope from somewhere else. And so I want to be the one that God uses. I pray that we would be a generation of young people, old people, middle-aged people that will stand for what we believe in, have that tenacity, that persistence, that perseverance, that boldness, that courage, that fearlessness, that unashamedness to go and be who God called us to be, no matter who we are in front of. If we die, we die, but at least we die doing God's will. Right? Man, I want to be that kind of dude. If I die, I die, but at least I die doing what God called me to do. Man, when I think to what happened in, outside of San Antonio last Sunday at that church where, where, the, where a man walked in and, and, and shot down people like a, like, a, like a madman, like a monster. I mean, the associate pastor was getting up to preach and was killed. I mean, is there anything more horrific than what is happening in our nation right now? It's horrible. But you know what? Isn't it, and hear my heart on this, isn't it both saddening, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, but powerful? that these people were martyred in their place of worship. Doing what they love for the God that they love. It's horrible. But in the middle of that, you see the, the, the resolve of people to pray and to worship, and they didn't know that that would be their last Sunday. But man, they were, and you may say they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, but they were in the right place. Because you never stop going to the house of God. You, you, you never stop persisting even though there's threats around you. And, and we live in a crazy world right now. But nonetheless, we will persist. And, and, and we repeat the words of Esther. If I perish, then I perish. But at least I will die doing what God called me to do. I, I pray for that church. And I mean, the, past, the senior pastors of that church were away. And, and their 11-year-old daughter was in that building last Sunday and was killed right there in church. And it's, it's, it's my, like, I can't even wrap my mind around what's going on right now. There, there's no, what is the solution? I have no idea. But what I do know is this, is that God has never changed based upon changing circumstances. God has never wavered when humanity has wavered. God has never changed his character when the character of men has, been, has threatened others. I, I believe in a God who has always been who he always has been. And so this morning we have hope because we know that as long as we are doing and seeking and fulfilling the will of God for our life, even if we die doing it, I'll still do it. Do, do we have that kind of tenacity this morning? Do we have that kind of resolve to to be who God called us to be, even if we're killed doing it. 
You know, sometimes we think perseverance needs, you, you need perks in order to persevere. What I mean by that is you need benefits in order to keep going. Whenever you look at a job, uh, you know, for one of the first things you look for is what are the benefits? Uh, because that's what keeps you going to the job. Let's just be honest. You know, a lot of us don't just go to jobs because we love the job. You go to the job because they pay you. You wouldn't show up if they didn't pay you. Can I get an amen? You, you just wouldn't go. There's benefits. There's insurance. There's time off. There's 401ks and all those numbers that I don't know what they are. All those things, and, and those are the benefits. And so you keep persevering in it because of the perks. You keep going because there's benefits. In this journey with God, we don't persevere because of perks. We persevere because of purpose. That was way better than your amen. We don't persevere because of perks. We persevere because of purpose. Right? When there's a purpose, you persevere. You don't persevere because they th said thank you. You don't persevere because you got a fruit basket. You don't persevere because they, they, they did this or they did that or they recognized you or they hugged you or they kissed you or they did this. or they did. You persevere because of purpose. Purpose. Purpose keeps you going. Calling keeps you going. Here's the thing. I don't know what that grunt was, but let me keep going. When people ask, you know, what, what's it like to be, to be a pastor? That's a loaded question. I know. That's how exactly how I feel sometimes. What's it like to be a pastor? What? That's, that's my heart. What keeps you going? What, 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 what keeps me going is not perks, people, position. What keeps you going is purpose. Purpose. A sense of calling. Because if you're doing what God called you to do because it's comfortable, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Let me say that nine more times because our generation needs it. If you're doing what God called you to do because it's comfortable, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because when things start getting uncomfortable, you give up on your calling. When you, do, when you fulfill your calling based upon the purpose of God over your life, you'll do it no matter who's watching, no matter who's in favor of you, no matter who's against you, no matter who encourages you, no matter who discourages you, no matter who abandons you, you keep doing it. Even if you're the only one left in the room, you keep doing it. Just because you're called, because you have a purpose. And let me tell you something. I don't want to be part of a generation of shifty people who are always changing based upon who's with them. I'm going to be who I'm called to be no matter who is approving of it. Because there's a purpose. Clap because you need it. There's a purpose. Purpose, man. Calling. Be steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the work of God. Because, folks, if we're going to depend upon people to give us the affirmation we need to be the person God called us to be, we're going to find ourselves in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction in our life. But I believe this, that when our, my life is founded, rooted, based upon the calling and the purpose of God over my life, there is nobody that can shake me from it. Nobody. And so I want to just give you that encouragement. Be you. Be you. Boo, boo, be you. Do it. I love comfortable as much as anybody else. Man, my bed was amazing this morning. Anybody else's bed felt extra? I don't know what it was about this morning, man. This sweater. I thought this sweater was a good idea until I started preaching. I don't know what I was thinking. I should just wear short sleeves through the winter for Sundays. Just... 
I sweat on the most freezing of days. But getting out of that bed this morning, I was like, wow, should I stay here or should I go and preach to the church? And you know, in the morning, everything is up, up like, you will quit your job. Like, you feel like you can just, you know what I mean? Who needs that school anyway? The rationale goes out the window when you're comfortable. Wow, that's a word. That's a word. We stop reasoning when we're comfortable. Ooh, that was a word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Mm. But, but I got up. Obviously, I'm here. But I was already planning my afternoon nap when I got up for church this morning. I'm like, I'm going to get out of church after second service. I'm going to go have a nice lunch. I'm going to have a nice cup of coffee. I'm going to go to bed. And I'm going to get in the same exact position that I'm in right now. You know when you're planning it? I want the cover exactly the way it is. Alini, don't move. Because you know your wife needs to be in the same position. Can't be stealing them covers. But there's something about women. Just like. those of you on the podcast, I am rolling in the air. That's why. But uh, comfort's a bad thing. I love comfort, but I don't like what it does to me because it keeps me stuck. As long as you feel uncomfortable, that means you're on mission. Stay uncomfortable because it keeps you moving. Stay uncomfortable until God uses you. Put yourself in a place that gets you frustrated. Because frustration breeds progress. I'm getting chills because I'm feeling the spirit on this one. I need you to remember this morning that as followers of Christ, we're not called for the perks. We're called for the purpose. And when we keep our eyes on purpose, the perks don't matter. The perk is doing what God called us to do. That's the perk. That's the ultimate payoff is hearing the Father say to our spirit, well done. That's what I live for, is the, is the approval of my father. Number three, what I love about Esther is that not only was she a woman with resolve, not only was she a woman who prayed, but number three is this, is that she knew that she was favored. Because remember, out of all the women that walked in front of the king during that competition for who's going to be the next queen, she was the one who got the favor of the king. And when you're favored, you're favored every day of the week, right? When you're favored, you're favored every day of the week. And so the, the, the Jews across Persia had been fasting and praying for three days for Esther because they knew that she was their way out of this problem because they would be killed if Esther didn't receive favor in the eyes of the king. And so at the end of the three days, she puts on her, her royal garments and she goes to stand in front of the king. And she has that moment because there's two options. Either the king will look at her and command his eunuchs to go and kill her, or the king will extend his golden scepter of favor so that she can come and approach his throne. Those are the two options. I mean, those are two very extreme options, but that's the only things that could have happened. Either she's killed or she receives favor in the sight of the king. But she knew that she was favored. She knew that she had people praying for her. She knew that she had taken the time to prepare herself for this moment. And she knew that she was the queen. When you know your position, you know what you can do. And so she, she began to approach the king's 
courtroom. And I can just imagine the anxiety of the moment. Like, is this my last, are these my last steps? Are these the last thoughts I'll think? Is this my last moment in this palace? Or will he extend favor? And she had to question that, but still she went forward. And it says that she went and stood in front of the king's courtroom. And the king was seated on his throne. And he looked at her. And in that moment of what is he going to do? He extends the golden scepter of favor and tells her to come forward. Not only does he say come forward, he says, Queen Esther, what is it that you desire? What is your request? It's yours, even up to half the kingdom. The guy was stingy. He's not like my whole kingdom. Half. Up to half my kingdom. I love that. I want to preach on that in a minute. But I want to remind you, I don't know why my fingers are doing this because I feel it, but I want to remind you of something. Check this out. I go to a Cape Verdean barbershop. Sharp transition. I go, to a, I go to a Cape Verdean barbershop over here on Main Street. That's the only time I watch sports is at the barbershop because that's all they watch. Benfica. Wow. <laughs> Sporting. And that's what they do. And uh, here's, the, here's what's interesting about, I'm, a, I'm, I'm white on the outside. And so nobody at that barbershop, if they're new, thinks that I'm Cape Verdean. They d you just assume, white kid with nappy hair. Somehow it happened. But the barber who's Cape Verdean, whenever an, you know, an older gentleman walks into the barbershop, all these guys say hi to each other. That's just what they do. And the barber always introduces me as Dr. Lima's son. Always. That's how I'm known in the barbershop. And if they don't know him as Dr. Lima, then Pastor Lima. And somehow, someway, all these Cape Verdeans always know exactly who that is. I'm like, why don't y'all come to church, though? Oh, this is Dr. Lima's son, Pastor Lima's son. And as soon as the barber says that, every time, without fail, they're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know him. And it's always a positive reaction, thank God. It's never like, wow, I know that guy. Bad news. It's always a positive, positive thing. I'm glad my dad has a great reputation. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. You don't, you don't see that as often as you should. But it's so cool to be identified as the son of my father. One time, me and my sister, years ago, were flying to Cape Verde. We went a week before my parents went to spend some time there. And uh, again, once the people on, the, on board, the pilot, the, 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 the flight attendants found out that we were Dr. Lima's kids, we got a seat upgrade. Based upon the fact that they knew who my dad was. We got the exit row. And for us tall Lima's exit row, is the promised land. Legroom. Because those aisles in the Cape Verde, I swear they put way more chairs in that plane than is healthy. But So that exit row is like a breath of fresh air. But as soon as they saw us on there and they knew who my dad was, they put us forward. I want to remind you this morning that when you are the son of your heavenly father, the daughter of your heavenly father, you're favored. And you're favored every day of the week. 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. Walk into that with all boldness and courage. This is Dr. Lima's son. With that comes benefits. Praise God. I take advantage of it, too. I'm like, yeah, I'll go to the aisle seat. Praise God. Favor. Wish I could start getting free haircuts. That'd be nice. <laughs> I'm going to ask. Put it on my dad's tab. He doesn't even go there, but. What I love about Esther, though, is that she approached, she approached the throne room of the king as a representative of her people as a representative of her people. And listen, this is what I love about Esther. She was fully Jewish and fully royalty. Her blood was Jewish, but she was still the queen. And so she was the perfect person to go to the king and represent her people. She was the only one, really, that could, that could go up to the king and fully represent the Jewish people that were about to be killed. And when Esther, on the third day, went to the king. The king looked upon her with favor and said, what is your request? I'll give you whatever you want, even up to half my kingdom. You know, the story of Esther really isn't about Esther. The story of Esther is about the greater Esther whose name is Jesus. Jesus, who this time was not fully Jewish and fully queen, but this time he's fully Jewish, fully human, and fully God. And I believe that on the third day after Christ was crucified, buried, he rose again and he approached the throne of God as a representative. This time, not just a representative of the Jewish people, but a representative of all of humanity. And this time, check this out, the Jews were going to be killed in the story of, of Esther. But in the story of Jesus, all of us would have been killed because the wages of sin is death. And so the threat was to our existence because Jesus knew we would be the ones who would die if nobody represented us. But we needed a representative to go to the Father for us because if we were just to walk up into the, the presence of God, we'd be killed. And so God needed somebody who could play both sides, somebody who could relate to our sin but still be able to approach the throne of God. And that person was Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who was one of us, but had the authority to go into the presence of God and receive favor on behalf of all of us. I want us to celebrate this morning that we don't have to risk going into the presence of the Father because we have already had a representative go before us, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the greater Esther. The one who was willing to die and did die for the sake of our salvation. This morning, we can celebrate the fact that because Jesus went to the king, the king of kings, all of us can now be saved from the wages of sin and death. What I love about Esther is that Esther points to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate example of approaching the unapproachable to represent those who would be killed. You're favored. You're favored beyond measure. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to die. Jesus paid the price so that all of us could live. And this morning, with every, everybody up to their feet, I want to pray for you.